Welcome to BDO in the Boardroom, a podcast series for board of directors and those charged with governance. Each episode features a topical discussion with board peers and subject matter experts on both trending and timeless boardroom issues, covering a myriad of issues including, but not limited to, mitigating risk in the increasingly digital world, navigating your board career, from landing your first board seat to succession planning in support of the next generation, to other top-of-mind issues such as ESG reporting, shareholder activism, and the insights we share through the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Amy Rojic, Director of BDO Center for Governance, and I'm so happy to have the chance to sit down with a fellow BDO colleague, Matt Williams to discuss global tax reform and specifically the base erosion and profit shifting or BEPS 2.0 and the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. It's two pillars of guidance. But first, a little bit about Matt. Matt is a principal in BDO's specialized tax services group and leads BDO USA's EMEA Tax Desk, providing corporate tax consultancy services to multinational companies, funds, and investment institutions. Matt has more than 20 years of experience in corporate and international tax, advising U.S. and globally headquartered companies across all industries on complex border structuring, financing, and supply chain management. In more recent years, Matt has focused on designing responses to corporate tax reforms globally, guiding organizations on sustainable approaches to managing international tax risks and mitigating future tax controversy. So Matt, welcome to BDO in the boardroom. Hi, Amy, thank you. All right, so my first question is probably a little simplistic, but essentially what's the origin of BEPS 2.0? Sure, thanks, it's a good place to start. So BIPs, or the Base Erosion Profit Shifting, was a project that started in 2013 by the OECD and the G20. And the focus was on addressing strategies used by multinational enterprises to exploit gaps and mismatches in tax rules to avoid paying taxes. The initial project resulted in 15 measures to tackle tax avoidance, improve the coherence of international tax rules, and ensure a more transparent environment. Off the back of BEPs 1.0, the OECD identified two areas to address. One, addressing the taxing rights in the digital economy, which subsequently led to Pillar 1, and two, ensuring minimum taxes paid in relation to profits arising in jurisdictions, and that is Pillar 2. The OECD Inclusive Framework, which is now a group of 142 OECD member countries, has been working close on five years on the BEPS 2.0 initiative, with the rules for Pillar 2 coming into effect in January of 2024. So I guess in in hearing all of that, what are the main contributing factors really for the need for global tax reform? Sure. So BEPS 1.0 made huge progress in addressing the objectives of tackling tax avoidance and coherence in international tax rules. However, the OECD did identify challenges regarding alignment of where profit and associated tax is realized, particularly in light of a digital economy and ensuring consistency in minimum tax globally to prevent a race to the bottom with countries' tax rates. Got you. So so I guess um, maybe could you give an example of what that really means? I mean, we always talk about digital economy, but how does that fit into where the global tax reform is going? Sure. So the big issue with the digital economy, I guess, is that traditional profit allocation and tax concepts have been based on where assets, predominantly the intellectual property, and where functions and people are based. And what we've 
realized more and more with the digital economy is that there can be a significant separation of the location of the consumer or the user of a product and the actual assets and people functions in the organization that is uh, exploiting that product. And what that results in is an ability for multinationals to segregate and allocate profit to where assets are legally held or where functions are uh, predominantly performed, which is separate from where the people are using the product or the consumers or the users are based. And the OECD and individual countries have focused more and more on that, particularly with regard to tech companies, to realize that that segregation of profit isn't consistent with allocation of profit to where, to the jurisdictions that are generating that profit, and in, in this case, the consumers. And that was the primary driver. And what you saw off the back of BEPS 1.0 was a number of jurisdictions introducing their own digital services taxes. There has been a concern within the OECD that what is required is more uniformity. And so the intention is that Pillar 1 will replace the digital services taxes that have been introduced unilaterally as an overarching mechanism for focusing on profit attribution. Now, the one thing about Pillar 1 is that it goes further than just digital services and it affects all multinationals. Yeah, so I guess maybe to follow up on that, so from, from your perspective in Pillar 1, you know, what is, I guess, what is the scope and, you know, you you mentioned it's focused on you know realigning where the profits are realized, but maybe you can talk a little bit more about the scoping of Pillar One. Sure. So Pillar One is focused primarily on, as I mentioned, it started off with regard to digital companies, but it's now broader and it encapsulates all organisations, and it's focused on ensuring that residual profit over and above the profit that should be allocated to each function is allocated to where the consumers or the users are based. Now, one thing about Pillar 1 to, to recognize in the scope piece that you, you were asking about is that the, from the outset, the intention is that it is only focused on the largest multinationals globally. And so the scope is for organizations that have revenue of $20 billion and have profit margins over 10%. So you have to have $20 billion of revenue and a profit margin of over 10% to be within the scope of it. If you are within the scope of the rules, what it says is that once you calculate the residual profit after determining routine profits for each function in each jurisdiction, that residual profit will be at 25% of that residual profit will be allocated to the jurisdictions based on consumers or users and where they're based. Got it. I appreciate the, the layman's explanation. <laughs> um, so, so maybe you can give us a little more on Pillar 2. Sure. So Pillar 2 is very different in focus and emphasis. Um, Pillar 2's focus is looking at global minimum taxation. So what I mentioned with Pillar 1 is that the intention there was to realign profit attribution to where the consumers were based. Pillar 2 is completely separate. Pillar 2 recognizes that even with all of the actions that came out of BEPS 1.0, there is still a significant proportion of profit being allocated to low-tax entities or um, low-tax instruments, which is reducing tax in jurisdictions. And so what the OECD has said is we need to move to a system where there is a minimum tax rate in every jurisdiction of 15% under a global calculation. Pillar 2 
applies to multinational enterprises with global revenue in excess of 750 million euros. So it's a much lower threshold. And actually that captures a very large uh, proportion of companies globally because that revenue threshold, it is large, but there are a number of organizations that may be generating revenue of 750 million with a much lower profit margin. Um, there are some exclusions. So government entities, investment and nonprofit organizations, and investment funds and real estate funds may be excluded, um, but otherwise it affects all multinationals that are within the scope of the revenue threshold. And what is the time frame for Pillar 2 rules? Sure. So the, the effective date for Pillar 2 was intended to be 1 January 2023. That got pushed out for a variety of reasons. We're now looking at an effective date of 1 January 2024, or let me rephrase that, accounting periods beginning after 1 January 2024. The issue, though, is that the Pillar 2 rules need to be implemented in unilaterally by each jurisdiction, and so we will see a phased approach as to when jurisdictions implement the rules. The EU, the UK, Japan, Australia, Canada, in terms of the major markets, have all indicated that they will deliver on 1 January 2024, along with a number of other jurisdictions. But there are some jurisdictions that either are going to uh, implement later. Hong Kong and Singapore are looking at 25 at the moment. And there are some jurisdictions that are, at the moment, unclear about their implementation date, for example, the US and China. So that seems like it would make a little bit more of, um, I guess, increasing complexity for companies if they're trying to forecast out when these things are going to take effect and, and, and really impact them. Yeah. So from a timing perspective, there is a huge amount of complexity because the implementation by different jurisdictions will differ. Um, the passing of law and the enactment date, which is relevant if you're um, involved in financial statement reporting, certainly for public companies, will differ. And so it really will depend on which jurisdictions you have operations and when they implement the rules and how it affects you. The one thing to note about Pillar 2 that I think has been a cause of some confusion in the past is that it only requires one jurisdiction that you have operations in to apply the rules, and all of your worldwide operations will be subject to minimum taxation. So the fact that your headquarter territory doesn't implement the rules is irrelevant. If one jurisdiction that you operate in, for example, if you have a German operation, Germany will implement, they published draft legislation recently, they will implement 2024. If that's the case, the rules will apply to all of your worldwide operations. So. This is a podcast for boards and I'd like to understand from a board's perspective, what should they be doing to prepare for these changes? Sure, that's a great question. I think now that we have more details on the rule, and maybe if I just clarify that statement, um, over the last three months, we have had further guidance from the OECD, including safe harbors, which I think are going to be a huge relief to minimize the compliance cost for organizations. Um, we have seen draft legislation in the UK, the Netherlands uh, and Germany and movement in other jurisdictions as well. So now that we have more clarification on how the rules will apply and when they'll be implemented, um, I think it's critical the board start to evaluate the impact of these rules, both from an ETR and cash tax perspective, as well as the cost and compliance um, of ensuring you can account and manage for this. And so I think a big thing is 
A, doing that impact assessment of what's going to be the ETR or cash tax cost that's critical for future reporting, but also understanding what the future compliance cost is going to be and ensuring that you have the systems in place so you can undertake the appropriate financial statement reporting to meet your deadlines. Yes, so maybe we talk a little bit about that from, from both an effective tax rate and a cash tax perspective. You know, obviously, this requires a lot of resourcing. And would you say that the majority of the folks that you work with do this internally? Do they leverage external resources? I guess what, it, and you mentioned systems as well. So, you know, if you had a unlimited budget, I think things would be probably fine for most companies, but obviously these things cost a lot of money. Can you give us an idea of what some of the costs and challenges are in resourcing? Sure. That's a great question. And it's it's a real challenge for organizations right now. I'd say the spectrum of costs and approaches vary significantly depending on the size of your organization, the complexity of your organization, the jurisdictions you're in, amongst other things. So there is a, a, a huge variety of approaches being taken here. I think in the first instance, it's critical to undertake some level of impact assessment feasibility to understand how the rules are going to apply to the organization, where the costs are going to be both from a ETR and a compliance perspective. And then that will help uh, dictate how much work needs to be done going forward. The issue with the rules is they are a completely new global tax return or tax set of rules that sit over and above all of your jurisdictional calculations. So what you need to do is do new computations based on financial statement information and tax information on a jurisdictional basis. And some organizations have very sophisticated and automated processes where identifying the data that's going to be required and then doing calculations is fairly streamlined. And other organizations are still working with either multiple financial reporting systems or fairly rudimentary financial reporting systems like Excel, where the ability to automate and manipulate may be differing. And so it really depends on the organization, but what you're seeing is a review of what data do I need depending on my facts and my jurisdictions? How am I going to capture that data, input it into whatever I deem is the appropriate tax calculation compliance system to get the output that I need. And as you mentioned, resources constraint within organizations. So some of that is a combination of an internal resource, both financial and tax and elsewhere. Some of it's a combination of technology and do you need new technology and what's the cost of implementing that new technology? And some of it may be outsourcing. We see a lot of organizations outsourcing finance functions, tax functions. So it really varies depending on where the organization itself is in the life cycle of a tax and finance function as to what it needs to do. No, that's that's very helpful. And, and I guess, you know, we're we're talking about Kind of the inputs and how the computations are being made. But now what about the outputs? What what is this? How will all of this impact disclosures and communications with key stakeholders? Yeah, so the disclosures is a really interesting one. We we're waiting for further guidance from both the IASB and the FASB as to what US GAAP and IFRS is going to require for disclosures in the future state. But there has been consultation uh, documents just from IASB which indicate a very 
detailed disclosure uh, requirement on a jurisdictional basis as to what the Pillar 2 impact is. So the future state could be significant financial statement disclosures if you're a public company. That still remains to be seen as to whether that's going to come through. The tax compliance itself is is a a significant um, undertaking if you're within the full scope of the rules. There are some safe harbor rules that may reduce your compliance. But if you're within the full scope of the rules, you have to do tax returns based on financial statement information and tax information, which otherwise isn't prepared in your current tax computations. Um, and then in addition to that, the disclosures here will be uh, scrutinized more effectively by tax authorities because there is more information sharing. What will happen is that you'll file a global pillar two return in one jurisdiction but that can be made available to all other jurisdictions. So there's a huge issue with regard to what you're disclosing and how that's going to be perceived across all of the jurisdictions and what that means for your future state controversy as well. No, that this has been really helpful. And, and I guess I'll, I'll close with maybe one final comment. So if I were sitting on a board and, you know, oftentimes we find, you know, the tax work or tax oversight is part of the overall ERM, right, um, for, for a company. So if I were sitting on an audit committee, what would be some of the key questions as an audit committee chair that I would want to be posing to management right now where I, I have these operations in foreign jurisdictions, I, I know I'm going to trigger these, what would I want to know today? Sure. So I think the good news is we've still got nine months before the rules come into effect. And then there will be, depending on your facts, a delay as to when your first trigger point is for financial statement reporting and then tax return. So there is some time, but nine months will go by very quickly. I think the questions you know, you, you, you may want to ask or think through are, A, have we done that impact assessment? Do we anticipate... Um, increased ETR or cash tax, and where and what does that look like? Two, at a high level, I think it's what do we need to do to be able to account for these rules and manage the tax function and the accounting function going forward? So, for example, if you're a public company, by Q1 of next year, it is likely that you will have to have calculations on your pillar to effect on a forecast basis for the full year. So what do you need to do between now and then to ensure that you can deliver those? Once you understand that, you can build out a roadmap to figure out where you are today and where you want to get to. And then I think you get into more detailed conversations around the existing capability of the accounting system to provide the data that you need, the process of taking that data or capturing that data, and then preparing a computation. Who's going to do that? Can it be automated? What's the cost of implementing that? And then thirdly, what can the organization do now to reduce that future compliance cost and that future ETR cost if it does apply? So is there restructuring? Is there entity rationalization? Are there things that can be undertaken now that may simplify the cost of dealing with these rules in the future? And then I think lastly, there's a broader piece around Pillar 2, which is to do with how do we need to think about the overall business going forward from a tax perspective? So with regard to uh, M&A, if you're looking at acquisitions, there needs to be a new analysis or a different analysis with regard to Pillar 2 as to what the effect is going to be. Same with dispositions. Equally, 
one of the big issues is that the accounting for tax credits differs jurisdiction by jurisdiction. So if the organization is looking at, for example, the US um, tax credits that have been introduced through the Inflation Reduction Act, some of those may be very helpful from a tax credit perspective and save you money. But if you end up topping up the tax because it's reducing your ETR, then you're losing that benefit. So how do you think through tax credits? There are going to be a number of different interactions between accounting and tax that will change the way that the business thinks about tax and how tax contributes to the business. And that's the third component of this. Once you've done the impact assessment, the board can get more granular and say, okay, which of these issues are very material to us and how does it change our perspective on these issues going forward? Now, I, I think those those are great questions, and I think any, any board would be benefited by listening to this and understanding where they are and having earlier conversations. So really appreciate your insights, Matt. I think as we get more information and more jurisdictions come out with their rules, we'll uh, invite you back if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Please catch more of Video in the Boardroom on iTunes and Spotify. Thank you for listening to BDO in the Boardroom. Past episodes and related insights are available at bdo.com slash BDO Boardroom. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting and the resources we provide, visit bdo.com slash BDO Knows Governance.